Friends, I want to encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures this morning and turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. As you're turning, I would ask you, perhaps you've heard about uh, the so-called revival in Asbury, Kentucky, this school. I mean, it's, it's just on the news. It's, it seems to be everywhere, YouTube and Facebook. And if you're frequenting such things, surely you've come across this. And one of the questions out of it is, it, was this a revival or just what, what was going on there? But I, I can tell you this. I can tell you this, a revival always begins and ends with the preaching of the word of God. Hearing the word of God, responding to it. Because it is the spirit of God that uses the word of God to convict the child of God, to, co to correct them into the will of God. Does that make any sense? Should I say that again? I don't know if I can. Listen to it later. <laughs> What we do know this is this. We ought not to be living in sin, right? I don't know if a bunch of repentance went on there. They certainly didn't highlight that. Every video I saw was a bunch of people singing, mostly in their early 20s, it looked like. You know, a lot of people travel down to get a hold of some of this, which tells me this. Maybe the church is still looking for something. Maybe the church isn't missing anything, but perhaps has not taken that which was given to them. What we have learned in the book of Romans, just by way of review, some very, very important truths that we understand, things perhaps we were already familiar with, and that is this, the Gentiles, every last one of them, sinners. The Jews, every last one of them, sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What can be done for them? Well, it seems that in God's infinite grace, he has determined to send his son to die in our place. Take the penalty for our sin upon himself. Thomas just read about that. He died for our sin, was placed in a tomb, and three days later, he rose from the dead on the third day. And here's the great opportunity. One would think if we have offended a holy God, we would have some serious consequences. And we did. You know what the serious consequences were? Death. You know who took it for you? Jesus. And what God asks of us is to put our trust in him. That's it. Trust him that the death of Christ was enough. Once for all, sufficient for all. And when the moment you do that, God declares you righteous. The very thing that you are not is what God now declares you because of his son. What a wonderful salvation. How incredible is this? What God has done for us. And thus far, that's where we've ended in the book of Romans. 
We know what it means to be righteous, to, to stay true and right on the path, not going from the, to the right or to the left, but staying in the middle, right where God would have us to be. And what is in the middle? It is the will of God. It's the word of God, the truth of God. It is why we don't go to the right or to the left, but frankly, we do, don't we? When we see something, we stop, we are distracted, we are drawn away. King David experienced that. Here's a guy that wrote a significant part of the Bible. The Spirit of God used this guy. One of Jesus' favorite titles was he was the son of man and the son of David. But there is David out, and he sees and he acts, and he falls. And it is a shame to think of such a thing. The Spirit of God uses that account in my life in so many powerful ways. How could I dishonor my God by doing such a thing? That was Joseph, remember? Potiphar's wife, come on, lay with me. No! Not worried about being caught so much as dishonoring as God. That is the attitude we ought to have, my friends. It's the attitude that is right. But what then? Well, what are we still doing here? Y'all put your faith in Christ, right? I mean, you'd have to be a fool not to. Christ dying in your place, rising from the dead, victorious over sin, promises of eternity. Why would you not trust him? Then what? Well, I'll tell you what, my friends. Romans doesn't end it in chapter 5. We move into a new section. And this is the, the section following salvation, <laughs> the righteousness of God. To sanctification. That's a $3 word that nobody really uses in this world. What are we talking about? We're talking about the process in which we are conformed to the character of the Son of God. And when we, we start acting in what we believe, we know what is right and what is good, and we do it. Sanctification. That's what we're talking about. In chapter 6, Paul transitions from how sinners are made righteous to how the righteous overcome sin. And frankly, my friends, this is a serious matter. You say, hey, it's not that big a deal. I'm saved. I will remind you yet once again. You will stand before the Lord Jesus. And you will give, account, give an account. I mean, can you just imagine for a moment how terrifying that would be? If you simply coasted your way through this life, knowing that his son was crucified for you. The shame that he endured. You know what a crown of things they did at the cross? They dressed him up and laughed at him. They put a crown of thorns on his head and they mocked him. You think what you do matters to the Lord in light of that gift? 
This is not an issue of heaven and hell, my friends. This is an issue of reward. And I'll tell you what, I plead with you here, listen to me. You don't want to step up to the Lord Jesus and say, I got nothing. Uh, you know, I was really busy with my hobbies and, and there was that TV show that I couldn't miss and I recorded it and I watched it every season 17,000 times. And You want to take this stuff serious. And the way that I talk to sinners, hear me, because hell is your future. We're not talking about hell. We're talking about standing in front of Jesus and say, you know, it really wasn't worth my time and effort to serve you, to live for you, to, to listen and gather in these truths and put them into practice. That sounds really heavy, but it is. It is. And friends, I don't want to stand in front of Jesus and, you know, you never talked about the hard stuff to these people. I will always tell you the truth. I will tell you what the word of God says. Heavy, hard, it's not that funny. It's the stuff of nightmares to think that she would stand in front of the Lord and said, I didn't really do anything with it. I just got saved. Take a look with me, my friends in chapter 6, where Paul lays out three actions that we ought to take that will enable us to overcome the temptation of sin, that will enable us to live a holy life before God and before men. You want to know what really convicts the sinner? A life well lived. A Christian who doesn't just go to church on Sunday. I was a kid. My friends were playing football, and then we stop. We're all exhausted talking, and we're all telling stories as kids do. And, and one of them said to me, you're lying. And we never had a problem calling each other liars before. We had to pick up that habit again. I don't know. But uh, my other friend said, he ain't lying. He goes to church. You've heard this story. It shapes me. And my other friend says, that don't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, church people lie all the time. My friends, it ought not to be so. It ought not to be so. Well, we better get to the scriptures here, eh? All right, take a look with me in verses 1 to 10 where we find the first action that we ought to take, and that is to know the truth. Three actions. You first is this, know the truth. If you're going to grow in your Christian faith, you must become a student of the Word of God. You need to know the Word of God better. Because it is the Spirit of God that uses the Word of God in the life of the child of God to transform them. You need to be a student of the Word of God. You know, a lot of people go to Bible school like Moody in Chicago and I suppose there's a bunch of them all over the country because they, they want to prepare to be involved in some kind of ministry. 
You know, maybe uh, maybe that's uh, they want to be a missionary, they want to teach in a school, whatever it might be, a pastor, you know. But then there are people like Melanie back there and, and this fellow up here. We came to faith in Jesus Christ and we realized something. We don't really understand the Bible too well. I mean, we've heard stories our whole life, went to church our whole life, you know. I mean, different churches. She lived in Wisconsin. And I mean, and and we didn't we didn't get it, you know. I mean, there's some books you start reading. You're like, man, what is this doing in here? This is like some secret code they play at t on TV at two in the morning on Saturday night or something, you know. I mean, have you read the book of uh, Ezekiel? There's some crazy stuff in there that are hard to understand. But you don't even have to go there. So we went to Bible school, not because we wanted to be a pastor or a pastor's wife. Mel, did you want to be a pastor's wife when you were a little girl? <laughs> no. You've got to learn the Word of God. You have to be a student of the Word of God. You've got to figure this stuff out, my friends. Because if you're going to grow, you've got to get in the Word of God. And Paul makes it clear that if you're going to live a holy life and overcome sin, three things you need to know from the word of God. You know what number one says? What shall we say then? And I have a phrase that Paul uses when he is transitioning to a new topic. And I have introduced that topic. Are we, listen to this question, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, how is it that we're forgiven of all of our sin, past, present, future, in the death of Christ? That's grace. He died in our, for our sin and rose from the dead. And my friends, there's the question. Hmm, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And the answer has to be no, no. You are not to continue in sin, right? I mean, isn't that just obvious? I mean, we know what Christ did. We, we celebrate the Lord's Supper every month. We are reminded. It's in all four of the Gospels. It's referenced through all of Paul's letters. We're not supposed to keep on sinning we do that that was what was bringing our eternal separation from God no and you know why we're dead to sin we're dead to sin that's what Paul says here in verse 2 by no means <laughs> meganoito absolutely not how can we who died to sin still live in it do you not know, there it is, there's the first of many knows, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. It is part of the problem of we come to faith in Christ and, and we're excited about it, we're telling people about it, and the church says, you need to be baptized. And you say, yeah, let's do it. But you still don't know anything about Christianity. What does that mean? I mean, you're excited about it. Well, sure, you're not going to sin. 
but the sense that the excitement kind of wanes and you start fitting into a pattern in your life. And frankly, that pattern starts allowing more and more sin into your life. A little lie here and there. I mean, it's just a small one. What difference does it make? And you know what happens when we let sin in our life? It sears our conscience. You know, it's, it's like a, a callus. When you learn to play the guitar, violin, or some other stringed instrument, first of all, your fingers just hurt. I mean, it just hurts. You know, and then you build up these things called calluses. And your skin gets hard and you lose some feeling there, and but it makes it a lot easier. That's what happens to your conscience. See, the conscience waves these issues, you know, is this right or wrong? And then it yells at you in your heart and saying, stop it, it's wrong. And then that voice gets softer and softer and softer. And it's pretty easy to ignore. Friends, you know the reason you haven't stopped sinning? You never really intended to. No, still going to do those things. Yeah, I know, but you've been crucified with Christ. And we must not continue in sin. Why? Because we're dead to it. We're dead to it. We need to be tempted to sin like I'm tempted to eat eggs. I don't know how you people eat those things. Do you have no idea what it is you're eating? Are you not disgusted by these things? Come on, people. Okay, we're not preaching about eggs this Sunday. <laughs> there is a picture used of, of the scripture of people who have been saved who go back into sin. It's like a dog who throws up. Yes, I want you to think about that whole process of, and out it comes, and then they go back and eat it. That is the sin of the believer. We're dead to sin. We've lost our appetite. You know how you lose your appetite for sin? You keep saying no. You keep reminding yourself of what Christ has done of all that he has given you, of all that lies ahead for you. It keeps saying no. And so you've been crucified with Christ. And not only that, notice here in verse 4, you've been resurrected with Christ. We have been raised with Christ and must live a new life. Paul Kenaw spoke those words it don't matter. Well, friends, how about this? We live our life proving it does. Because surely God is worthy of this, who sacrificed his son, Jesus, who laid down his son's, his, his very life for you. It matters. We have been raised with Christ and must live a new life. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that... Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk 
in newness of life. You ain't who you used to be. Start living like it. You are a child of God, adopted into his family. Live like it. Not only a bit. And then here in verse 6. You not only have been crucified with Christ and resurrected with him, you are now dead and alive. Verse 6, we know, there it is, things you need to know. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You obey your cravings. When your cravings come and you say, yeah, let's go get one of those. You are a slave to those cravings. And Paul's about to lay that out here. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So you're dead to sin, you're alive to Christ, and there it is in verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God, and that is the pattern. If we would intentionally wake up thinking that every single day we stand before the Lord Jesus and we tell him by the way we live our life how grateful we are that he died for our sin, how grateful that he endured all of the shame and the pain and the agony that we would be forgiven every day. Things you got to know, my friends, if you're going to overcome. Things are different in your life. Step two. Step two. Step one, of course, was know the truth. Step two is consider your transformation. Look at verse 11. So you, almost, you also must Consider yourselves dead to sin. To consider, logizomai, means to view yourself in this way. How do you perceive yourself in this life? That needs to be changed if you are going to live a holy life worthy of the death of Christ. I'll never be worthy. Count to see yourself differently. Count yourself. Consider yourself holy. What if we did that right here? Let's just for a moment here. Right now, we don't sin anymore. We are the people of God, and we don't fall for the devil's tricks. We don't respond to lust. We don't respond to these cravings. We say no to these things and yes to God. Like starting right now. That's how you do it. 
And you see what, what, what uh, we face here? We're nose to nose with the idea, well, I mean, I didn't do that yesterday and I'm okay. Friends, I say this to terrify you. You will stand before Jesus. Your eternity is set. But how comfortable are you going to be in heaven, my friends? So again, if you turn your back on Jesus every day. So again, Romans chapter 6. And here we are, step 3. You're dead to sin, you are alive to God. Again, verse 11 here of Romans 6. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and consider yourselves alive to God in Christ Jesus. I am a child of God. I am going to live in eternity in his presence. These are the truths, my friend, that we must know. And it ought to change how we think about ourselves. Consider your transformation, my friends. You are different. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Who leads and guides and convicts us of sin. And then we come to our third and final course of action to overcome sin in our life. To be the people of God that God is worthy of having. Present yourself to God. Step one, know the truth. Step two, consider your transformation. Think differently about who you are. And finally, present yourself to God. Look at verse 12. We have a number of instructions here. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. These hands belong to God. I wonder growing up, did you, did you have two sets of dishes? You know, the one where special company came and like, oh, man, I haven't seen those in years. Oh, you would not dare pull those guys out to microwave a sandwich or some crap. Oh, no, those are the special ones. I don't do that. that is the way you need to see who you are. Oh, no, I don't do that. I don't talk about such things. I don't act on such things. I don't watch such things because these things belong to God. They are holy. And that's how we need to change how we see ourselves. Because, friends, you won't change if you don't see change. If you don't present, these hands belong to God. They don't take what doesn't belong to me. They don't go, these feet, where God is not honored. Present yourself to God. Stop yielding to sin. Stop it. That's an imperative, my friends. Stop it. Secondly, present yourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. But present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. 
for sin will have have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. And then comes this question of Paul. Well, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, under grace? By no means. There's that meganoito. Absolutely not. Friends, there is no good reason to sin. Sin dishonors God. It is what brought death upon us. By no means. Do you not know? Listen carefully. Here it is. Do you, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are their slave? Whoever you obey is your master. Yes? That's how it works. either of sin, which leads to death, or of disobedience, I'm sorry, or who are you going to find, which leads to righteousness, who you're going to obey, who are you going to follow. You ever been in a place where two different people are telling you two different things, and you got three options, listen to this guy, or that guy, or none of them. Got to make a choice. Who are you going to follow? Is it going to be the word of God, the spirit of God leading you? Or the cravings inside of you? So Paul makes it clear here. Take a look at your life. Who are you obeying? The Lord? Can anybody tell that there's something different about you to begin with? You know? Not because you carry a Bible around, but because the Bible seems to have made a difference in your life. That's what we're talking about. Accept the challenge, my friends. Verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves, so now in purity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, and so now... Present your members, your hands, your feet, your eyes, your mouth, everything about you. Present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But when the fruit where you but what fruit were you getting at that time? I mean, what was that life producing? death. What were you getting at that time? From the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. So here's the bottom line, my friends. The wages of sin is death our Lord. The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus our Lord. Two paths. One leads to death. One leads to life. It's that simple. But it's a matter of choices. What will you choose? 
Righteousness, which again, by definition, following the, staying on the straight road, straight, not turning to the right or to the left, and that is obedience to God, that is living out according to his will and his ways. Not turning to the right or to the left or even turning around, my friends. Well, let's wrap it up. Sermon in a sentence is this. Jesus saved us from the penalty of sin in order that we might, he might save us from the practice of sin. He saved us from the penalty so that we might be the righteous practice of sin. God wants you to be holy. He has declared you righteous. Now live it. Live it. The reason we don't stop sinning, as I mentioned earlier, is this. We never really intended to. Yeah, I'm not the person. We, we, we talk about it as if it's, if it's optional. My friends, this is Christianity. This is how we live our life in faith in Christ. And think of this, we have all of the resources of heaven available to us to overcome temptation. We can say no to cravings, to things that tempt us. You know another strategy? Don't put yourself in a position to have to say no. How about that? Stop watching the stuff that tests your heart. We have all the resources of heaven. Again, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. I mean, if a resurrection power is available for ability. Friends, you can't say, I can't, because you can. It's not a matter of ability. It's a matter of willingness to live the holy life that God has called us to live. And finally, here in verse, I'm sorry, at the very end here in our Bible to go, this is how you do it. You start by saying no to sin, and you keep saying no by the power of the Holy Spirit. You say no, and you keep saying no. You don't say no sometimes and yes the other times. And so here it is again, starting now. You don't fall for temptation. You don't obey your cravings. You don't live like the world because you're different. Because God has chosen you. He has sent his son to die for you. He's risen from the dead that we might live differently. Because our Father in heaven, help us. Because I feel like even right now there's some people wrestling with this. They know that the battle will be hard to change the way they live, the way they talk, the places they go. Surely you are worth it, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit will encourage, convict, and strengthen your people we might live the holy life that you've called us to live, that you've given us the ability to live. Help us to choose you and say no to sin. 
And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.